Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for joining us every week at the same time as we continue our series on Nehemiah and Ezra and the 12 gates of Nehemiah. We've been dealing with the 12 gates of Nehemiah, and we are calling this entire series a roadmap to Reformation. I have thoroughly enjoyed doing this series because I have learned so much myself in digging around in this and looking at it, and just so many things have opened to me and dots have connected, and we're getting requests from everywhere for material on this, and so we encourage you to go back and watch uh, uh, you know, the former programs we've aired on this, I think we've aired something like 40 programs on the Roadmap to Reformation. We started back last year talking about uh, in the midst of chaos, God began to cause a man by the name of Nehemiah and Ezra to arise and build. Ezra's name means my helper. Nehemiah's name means the comforter. They're a picture of the Holy Spirit and what they're rebuilding and restoring even in the midst of the chaos that we are in. But this is so much bigger than just our immediate hour. I think that Reformation has been something in restoration. You can call it revival, whatever you want to call it. has been an ongoing project of God. If I could just call it new creation, new covenant. God is bringing about in the earth, and He's doing it through a people uh, that will cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah, like I said, ultimately becomes the governor of the city. And when uh, the comforter becomes the governor of the city, and he becomes the governor of our lives, everything begins to be restored. Now, last week we dealt with, uh, I believe it was the Ephraim gate, and uh, I, I forget exactly which gate we were on last week, but this week we're going to talk about the horse gate. Each one of these gates speaks significantly of some kind of an entrance into this new covenant city of God. I think it is incredible that uh, we see, you know, I shared with you uh, back some time ago, so I'm not going to review it too much, uh, that the city, that they are leaving, they are leaving Babylonian captivity, and they are headed to restore the temple and Jerusalem. In the Scriptures, in the book of Revelation, they are leaving Babylon. Babylon is falling, and God is opening the gates to the new Jerusalem. What we see in Revelation 17 and 18 that we've already established, by the way, you can go back and watch any of the prior segments on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio portions of it on podcast, on our iTunes podcast, or the RSS feed for your Android device if you want to review those. But in Revelation 17 and 18, one of the significant markers that the writer of Revelation says, is that the great harlot, which the prophets called natural apostate Israel, an adulterous woman, especially if you look at Hosea, he tells her to marry a harlot, and you go back and Isaiah called it the, the adulterous woman, the whoredoms of Jerusalem, as they had committed whoredoms with other gods and idolatry. When you get to the book of Revelation, he says this concerning the city uh, the great Babylon that's rode on a scarlet-collared beast, because actually Jerusalem was in bed with the Romans, and the beast that they rode on, even their uniforms were scarlet-collared. 
She wrote this scarlet colored piece, but here's the earmark. Here's the thing I want you to see. Several places through Revelation 17 and 18, it says, in her was found the blood of all the prophets and the martyrs, and that upon her would come the, the, the blood of all that were slain in the earth, were found in her was the blood of all the prophets. Jesus specifically in Matthew 23, before He gave the great Olivet Discourse and pronounced a judgment on apostate Jerusalem, says to them, you testify against yourself that you are the children of those who killed the prophets. But he said that upon this generation would come the blood of all the martyrs, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias. And he gives parables concerning uh, that and tells them in Luke's gospel, when he's talking about the Olivet Discourse, that upon that city would come, these are the days of vengeance, that all things which were spoken might be prophesied. So with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, it was the removal of Old Covenant Jerusalem and Old Covenant Judaism. I think it's a tragedy that we are in a, a season when a lot of the church world is trying to go back to the Old Covenant. This is a new and better covenant. Matter of fact, the whole book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews to try to warn them not to go back to animal sacrifice, not to go back to the Old Covenant, not to go back to the blood of bulls and goats, not to go back uh, to uh, the Old Covenant period. And most of the New Testament is written to that end. But in the moment that great Babylon in Revelation is destroyed, immediately upon the heels of that, he says, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God and the bride's lamb, the lamb's wife has made herself ready. So with the removal of Old Covenant Jerusalem was the birthing of New Covenant Jerusalem. With the destruction of that old temple came a spiritual house, the temple of God that we are. And I've already covered much of this, so I'm not going to do a lot in it, except I, we will touch several things as we go forward with this horse gate. So th there was a removal of an old covenant, and even the catastrophes of the book of Revelation come upon that apostate city as a result of the prayers of the martyrs saying, how long till thou dost avenge us? So, uh, you know, when he points the finger at that harlot city, calls her great Babylon, and he says, in you was found the blood of the martyrs. There's only one city that Jesus identified that as, and that is Old Covenant Jerusalem. So with the Old Covenant, he's, he's using parabolic language. He's using uh, scriptural narrative to draw the imagery from these things. And I hope that in these, these series that I have connected dots for you, and so as we talk about the 12 gates of Nehemiah, you can see a correspondence to the 12 gates of the city in the book of Revelation. This horse gate, let me just read the text to you from Nehemiah, the third chapter. This is verses 27 and 28. And after them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out even under the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate, repaired the priest, everyone over against his house. Now, what I want you to see is, as I did some research on the horse gate, this one has really, uh, this week even, the last couple of weeks, have really uh, been inspirational to me because we just finished like the whole Easter season with the uh, triumphant entry into Palm Sunday, and we're going to have a lot of stuff to deal with that. But I saw some powerful, powerful truth and revelation in this that I want to share with you. 
But the horse gate is mentioned, as I begin to, uh, to research this, the horse gate is mentioned in the context of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, it is mentioned specifically, and I'm going to read this text from Jeremiah 21, verses 23 through 40, and I trust you're not bored in the reading of the Scripture, but uh, you can get your Bible and follow along with me. But verse 23, Jeremiah 31 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and the mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all the cities thereof together husbandmen, and they that go forth with flocks. Now again, he's talking here concerning a return from exile. A main theme throughout the scriptures uh, uh, that even have to do with salvation as it, uh, as it would uh, relate to a Jewish mindset was the return from exile, being returned either from Egypt or from Babylon or from captivity and from slavery. And so he's talking about here again the return from captivity. He said, for verse 25 says, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Upon this I awaked, and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that, like as I have watched over them, to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's a very important scripture. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. See, I want you to see this is in the context of the new covenant. That I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they break, although I was a husband and unto them, saith the Lord. So he's talking about moving from the old covenant into the new covenant. And this is the clear context is I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And he said, but goes on to saying, uh, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their inward parts and write them in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more, no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now this... Paul the Apostle quotes this in the book of Hebrews, and we'll read it in just a moment, but he's talking about it again in the context of the new covenant. For thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun by, for, light, for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea from the waves thereof that roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation, for, a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if the heaven can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. And for all they have, have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city that shall that the city 
shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the corner, unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill of Gareb, and shall compass unto Goeth, and the whole valley of the dead bodies of the ashes, and all the fields under the brook of Kidron, under the corner, note this, of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. Now he's talking about something here in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, remember, prophesied the demise of Israel and the carrying away into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Remember Daniel in chapter 9 is reading the prophet Jeremiah to find out how long they will be in captivity. And uh, so he's talking about them being carried away, but he said the days come when the city will be built uh, from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner, and he talks about the restoring of the horse gate, and he talks about this in the context of the new covenant. Now I want to read this exact same uh, verbiage uh, from uh, Hebrews 8, verse 7 through 13. He said, for this is the covenant, for, for that first covenant had been faultless, if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Uh, and not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember it no more. In that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which is decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now let me just tell you that again, he is talking here about them going into the captivity of Babylon. And then he, even in the midst of their prophesying their demise, talks about God restoring them back. Now he does that historically under Ezra and Nehemiah. But this points to a bigger deal than just what happened in Ezra and Nehemiah. It points to literally the new covenant that Jesus would offer. Uh, and I'm going to show you how this connects when we get to uh, Zechariah, where he said, Behold, your king comes to you riding upon an ass and the coat the foal of an ass. Jesus, when he rides into Jerusalem, comes through the horse gate. He is offering them a new and better covenant. And we will talk about the fact, as we get into this a little further, that this colt is tied to a door at a place where two ways meet. The crossroads they are at is an old covenant and new covenant crossroads, and the door that is about to be opened is the door into the new covenant. So what he's speaking of here is it literally, again, the demise and a repeat of what you see in Ezra and Nehemiah, and before that, in that is that the old ancient city of Jerusalem will be destroyed, and a new Jerusalem, and a new Israel, and a new Judah will arise out of the midst of the new covenant that are not, that don't, don't exclude 
the old, uh, in other words, it doesn't exclude Jews and Gentiles. It just gathers them into one in Christ, the true seed. In other words, I'm not preaching replacement theology. I'm preaching placement theology. In other words, Jesus, according to Galatians 3 and 4, was the seed to whom the promise was made. Uh, Hallelujah. That in him, that uh, the, the promise that God made to Abraham was in Christ. So what he tells us, even Romans 11, the restoration of Israel, uh, back into the vine is that it's, it, it, it is not connected into the natural branch, but into the true vine, which is Jesus. I have a chapter in this book called The Great I Am, and I would greatly urge you to get this book. This is my newest book. But when I talk about the seven I Ams, when Jesus said I am, one of the things He said is I am the true vine. In other words, uh, you know, even as He declares to to uh, uh, Nicodemus, who comes by night, he says, Nick, uh, your natural birth is not enough, son. You need to be born again. So what brings us into this new Jerusalem, this new Israel of God, the Jew is you, according to Romans chapter 2, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, who's had a circumcision of the heart. And when this new covenant comes, he said, this is the covenant that I'm going to make. I'm going to write my laws on your hearts and your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. So when Jesus comes riding into the city in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, remember Zechariah is a contemporary. He's one of the prophets working with Ezra and Nehemiah. And as he prophesies to the actual building, that would happen historically 400 and some years before Jesus would come on the scene. There's something even greater that he's declaring as he steps out of that moment and he begins to prophesy things like, there's a man whose name is called the branch who's coming. They're going to weigh out for me 30 pieces of silver, which was the price that bought him out of the covenant. That's all in the book of Zechariah. And then he says, behold, your king comes to you riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Those are all messianic prophecies that are fulfilled in the restoration of the spiritual house of God and the spiritual Jerusalem, and the new covenant. Now, one of the things that I want to hit in this before I move on is the fact that he says to them, one of the things that he declares in this new covenant is, he said, in those days, verse 29, uh, he says, I, uh, in those days say, uh, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity, and every man that eateth the sour grapes his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In other words, this covenant is not like the old covenant. What this text is telling me, this is a text that many people use to preach generational curses on. You know, what we're going to have to do in this Reformation and roadmap to Reformation is we're going to have to decide which covenant we're going to preach. And we're going to talk about that even as we talk about these two donkeys that are tied at the door. There's a lot of people tied at the door that won't go into this new covenant. There are a way where two ways meet, and they refused. There's a mixture of two covenants. If you are preaching generational curses, you are preaching from an old covenant paradigm. Because what Jesus did to take the sour grapes, it's not an accident that on Calvary's cross, when Jesus was about to be lifted up, He cried with a loud voice and He said, I thirst. 
And when he said, I thirst, they brought him vinegar, sour grapes, and when hyssop, and gave him to drink of the sour grapes. What I want to say to you is on Calvary's cross, Jesus took every curse that you had coming, and He nailed it to the cross. He took generation because the Scripture said, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. You know, under the Old Covenant, the sins of the fathers were visited to the third and the fourth generation. But in the New Covenant, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. I need you to understand something. In the New Covenant, He drank the wine of the sour grapes to redeem you from generational curses so that you don't have to expect the same old things that uh, many of your relatives had. You know, I think sometimes we are all guilty of looking back and saying, well, you know what, Uh, this uh, ran in my family, or this sickness ran in my family, or this habit ran in my family, or this iniquity was in my family, or this abuse was in my family. I want you to know something. Jesus broke the connection to those curses. And you're not up under a curse any longer. Break free from the paradigm that makes you stay connected. This is, oh, that's just what's in my future. My daddy was like this. My grandpa was like this. And I'm going to be like this. I want you to know you've been born again. And when you get born again, you get translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. And I I, I think that's so powerful because I believe it is just incredibly good news that we have been literally uh, translated out of that kingdom and we are no longer up under a curse. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to say before this segment was over is He said, I'm going to make the covenant, but He said, For thus saith the Lord, which giveth the Son... Uh, for about, this is verse 34, who giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divides the seas when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If those ordinances depart from me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me. Thus saith the Lord, if the heaven above can be measured and the foundation of the earth beneath, I will cast out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel, for they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city uh, shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And it talks about there the horse gate again. Now, what I want you to see is I started thinking about this because I started thinking about where the apostle Peter talked about. He said, In the last day, saith God, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall be turned into blood, and the stars shall fall from heaven like a fig tree that cast its untimely figs. It's also in Revelation, I believe it is the fifth chapter, talks about the sun being darkened, the moon being turned into blood, and the stars falling from heaven. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize he's not talking about natural sun, moon, and stars here. Matter of fact, he even talks about the sea here and the waves of the sea. But when you get to Revelation 21, uh, and uh, there was no more sea. Uh, that, uh, what those are, are, are spiritual symbolic languages that you see throughout uh, the Scriptures that are dealing with prophetic language. And so when I started thinking about the sun will be darkened, the moon shall be turned into blood, and people start talking about, you know, I, I get challenged a lot on this eschatology on last days because people say, well, Brother Howes, you're wrong because I got up this morning, the sun's still up there, the moon's still there, and the stars are still out there. And so you, you, this can't be the last days. Well, you know, you, you have to just look at it in prophetic language because if you remember Joseph's dream, the dream that Joseph had when he was... Uh, 
had the dream was he saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him. Now those things symbolized, and when his father, Israel, remember now Jacob's name was changed to Israel, but when his father, Israel, heard him tell this dream, when Joseph told the dream to his father, the sun, the moon, and the stars, Jacob or Israel knew what this meant. He knew it meant lights out to natural Israel. So he says, shall I and thy mother and thy brethren bow down to thee? So that, that, that's symbolic of Israel and uh, the, the Israel, the mother and the 12 tribes, that, that those are the things that the sun, the moon, and the stars were types and shadows of. So when I see the sun being darkened, the moon being turned into blood, and the stars falling from heaven as a fig tree which shake, is shaken by a mighty wind. Listen, even the fig tree itself was a symbol of natural Israel, and Jesus cursed that fig tree in the context of Matthew 21, right after he rode into Jerusalem on this colt, the foal of an ass, he curses the fig tree and says that this fig tree has not produced any fruit and it will never produce any fruit. And so he curses that fig tree and it withers away. But what I want you to see is in the removing of old covenant Israel that he calls in Revelation 17 and 18, Great Babylon, when it falls and the destruction of that temple is destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, when that city and that temple is restored immediately, there's another temple that begins to come on the scene. God begins to build a spiritual house made out of lively stones. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if God was interested in a temple in the Middle East, He would have kept the one that was already there. But I believe the reason that that one had to be removed is because he was trying to show you the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. That what? Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul quotes from uh, when he says that when he was rebuking the church at Corinth, he says, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? He's quoting Ezekiel 37 where he's talking about the restoration and the revival of the dead bones and the return of the house of Israel. The return of the house of Israel and the house of Judah is the return of people whose hearts turn to the Lord and to those who will allow God to write His law upon their hearts. A new covenant I will make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. After those days, saith God, I will write my law upon their hearts and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. So the house of Israel, the house of Judah is no longer just a nationalistic people. Listen, I don't care what your ethnic background is. Your natural genealogy in birth is not enough. Just what he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There is no other way into the covenants of promise, into the community of faith, into the city of God or the temple of God outside of Jesus. And when you get in Him, you've been redeemed from the curses of the sour grapes that set the children's teeth on edge, and you are no longer under a curse. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We are about to run out of time already in this first segment. Again, join us again next week. We're going to continue to unpack this about uh, this uh, horse gate, and I believe you'd be blessed. If you'd like to sow seed into this ministry, it does take your support and help, especially during these times, to help us to stay on the air and take the gospel around the world. If you'd like to do that, the easiest way to do it is simply to go to my website, and you'll see that on the screen. And there's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You can even set up a monthly debit and become a partner with us. You can order books or anything from our website there as well, or you can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call 
If they don't, please leave a message. We'll call you back, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Until next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.